0: Do you realize this morning, you're here to worship the God of all creation? That's why we're here. And just, okay, we, we, we think God big, right? When you think of God and you think of the universe, how many besides the youth that we just looked at, have you guys looked at pictures of the universe and seen how big the universe is? And that God holds it like this in the breath of his hand. Our God is bigger than you can imagine. He is. He's just bigger. Everything we do is just a small portion of everything we have to dump out for the creator of the universe. Our desire is that when you leave this morning, you're going to have confidence moving forward that you have a big God. Through our worship, through our prayer time in the morning, through everything we do, there's a lot of negative going on around us. I mean, turn on the news for two seconds it just looked bad we have an enemy who's trying to divide us remember that's his whole job to lie cheat steal kill and destroy we have we have a bunch of people who are trying to divide us as a country and that's not the the God I read about in the Bible he was a unifier he brought people together under the umbrella of Jesus Christ And so what I want to do this morning, by the time we're done this morning, is I want you to know who you are in Christ, so when you leave here, you can love those who are different than you. I I know, that's good. It it deserves an amen response. That's some good preaching. And if that's all I preach this morning, that's a good message. Our job is to love, not judge. Judge. Why? Because I have a Savior who didn't judge me. When we think about that, and I wrote it in one of our devotionals that we did yesterday, I think it was. As they're building the temple, because we're going through and building the temple and all all the, the intricacies of the temple. The tools these dudes had to use back then. You know, they didn't have saws like we have today. They didn't have all the equipment we had today. But in the story, it says God gave each man the wisdom to do the work he called them to do. Do you realize this morning God's given you the wisdom to do what he's called you to do? You don't have to try to figure it out. You just have to plug in. You have to plug into the one who will give you the knowledge to do it. Because we don't know if any of these dudes had any knowledge before about how to stitch. God would have called me to stitch you know the curtains I'd have been like I got nothing but God says I called you I'll give you the wisdom to do it We got to live there with the knowledge that we all will think ourselves not worthy or we should but it's God who calls you Your life this morning understand is a miracle You're not here by accident. The creator of the universe knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. He's intricate enough to fashion together trillions of cells. And yet he's personable enough that he wants to sit with you and spend time with you. How many of you guys think about that stuff? Again, Maybe I slept too much last night. I went to bed early last night. Because god spoke the universe into existence and this is what's running through my head god just said let there be light and what happened there was light and then he separated the water from the land what happened the water listened and he called you by name do you believe that this morning do you believe he called you by name the first verse that i'm gonna put up here on the screen But Ephesians 1, 4 says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How many of you guys have ever pondered that statement? Last week we talked about some of the, you know, real quickly why we do what we do. We've been called to serve. God said, I came to seek and save the lost and serve and not be served. So we've been called. When Jesus saved us, he he saved us for service, for servanthood. He didn't save us to make us special. We are special. That's why he called us. He created us from the beginning to serve. I mean, you go back to the Garden of Eden. He said, take care of the land. Take care of the trees. Take care of the animals. He created us to take care of things. And he calls us to take care of each other. And so he created us to serve, he called us to serve, and then he gave us the power to serve when he left and gave us the Holy Spirit. Because he knew the job was too big to do on our own. We cannot, and we talked about this last week, there are some people we just cannot love on our own. There are some people that just eh, annoy you. But with the power of the Holy Spirit living through me, I can love them. And that's the only way. And so when we start to understand that as a church, we're, we're, we're a body. Okay, remember we read the verse in Romans last week that talked about how the body of Christ all works together. How everyone's important. Not one person is any less than another person. The, you know, the fact, none of this would happen if the people didn't come in Sunday morning and help set up. Now, does set up mean we're doing, we're doing church? No. Setup means we have an awesome God and we want to put our best foot forward. That's all it means. But without people coming out here, without people praying for this, without you guys showing up and walking through the door Sunday morning, the body would be lacking. And so we need to, last week we talked about the importance of every member. Today, I want to look at the, your unique design. In the body. How, why God called all of us to be different. We all fit in somewhere. I've always, since I've gotten saved, and I know this isn't normal, because <laughs> I'm not normal, but since I've gotten saved, I've always prayed, what do you want me to do, God? Not God, what's your will for my life? I did this really old study, and if you've never done it, go through it, Experience in Worship by Henry Blackaby. It's an old study, and he talks about a a story of some of the stuff they went through and how a lot of us will pray that prayer of, God, what's your will for my life? And he, he poses the question of, what if we turn that prayer and say, God, what's your will? I'll change your life. I'll change my life to match it. God has a will for your life, but it's his will. It's not your life. We flip it and think it's about our story and God, what can I do? And it's about God, what are you doing? I can do that. Because then he gives me the wisdom and the knowledge to do it. How, and so the question comes this morning is, how do you identify yourself? You know, if I was to come up and ask you Who are you? What would, just you can shout out, what would be your first response? No, really, shout it out. Okay, anybody else? What's that? Okay, what else? You guys don't know who you are, so it's a good time I got this message today. Yeah, we will, a lot of, and people do that, they identify themselves by what they do their income level, their family, do they have kids? What we've accomplished? Why do we why do we label ourselves that way? Oh, this one slapped me in the face. We want to gain attention. It's bred into us. We want to feel accepted, right? So when I say I'm a father, other fathers can relate to that and know the struggles nothing wrong with any of those but i'm here this morning to tell you what you do does not define who you are who you are goes to what you said i'm a child of god i'm royalty he called me royalty so he says you're a royal priesthood in first peter chosen So, this morning, my prayer for this message is that you guys will walk out of here understanding that what you do is not who you are. And what you don't do is not who you are. Because we'll let our regrets define us as well, won't we? And by that theory, if I lived that way myself, I'm an alcoholic abuser because that's my past. Do you think of as a father or a mother would you want your kids describing themselves by their mistakes? No, it breaks our heart, don't it? Then what do you think a heavenly father who's perfect when we do it to ourselves how that breaks his heart? Cuz he's he sees so much more in, in us than we see in ourselves. Remember, God is bigger than anything we can imagine. Well, his love for us is also greater than anything we can imagine. And when we break his heart by putting down his child, what does that do to a father? And it relates just as much to the church. When we, as a body, put down the body, what does that do to Jesus, who's the head? I read this book, Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. And he came to that realization. We spend a lot of time beating up on other denominations, don't we? How they're not this enough and that enough and cool enough. And, and he reads in that book, and it stuck in my head, how dare I think I can speak against the body of Christ. Who do I think I am? God's called me to follow him. He didn't call me to tell other people what they're doing wrong. Even if I don't agree with it. Even if it's not wrong. It doesn't agree with me, so it must be wrong, right? How many of you guys judge people like that? They don't act like you, then they must be wrong. I don't read that in my Bible. If you are unsure this morning of your role, if you're not sure... And you don't feel like you don't know if, if you can give a real answer to that question. Or if you've answered yes to any of those questions on how you, you don't get your identity. Theorist Eric Erickson coined the term identity crisis. How many of you guys have heard that term? It's a term running rampant in our culture today, ain't it? He believed that it was one of the most important conflicts people face in development of who they are according to Erickson an identity crisis is a time of intensive analysis and exploration of different ways of looking at yourself so if I go and look in my mirror when I get home and I say you're an alcoholic if I say that enough times what do you think is going to happen If I look at my child and say, you're stupid, as they're trying to figure out their identity, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to live down to your expectations. You have a father in heaven that says you're chosen. Do you identify with that? Or do you identify only with the negative stereotypes that culture has thrown on you? Because again, if we go back to our first verse, it says he chose you. He chose you in Christ before the world began. So you were thought of and planned to be right here, right now. I love going back to the verse in Esther, where you were born for such a time as this. Do you live your life like you were born For such a time as this? Or do you live your life hoping to make it to death, not doing too many things wrong? That's how most of us live our lives. The whole journey of life is just to get to death safely. We don't want to take too many chances. Don't want to do too much. Don't want to take too many big steps of faith that may make us look stupid. I just want to get to I want to get to the grave safely. Did Jesus live that way? Let me help you with that one. Uh-uh. 33 years old, he ended up on a cross. We want to make it to the ripe old age of whatever we want to make it to. And Jesus lived his life saying, guess what? I got the cross before me. I got the Father beside me. I'm going to keep moving towards what God's called me to do, no matter what gets in the way. I made a statement to some people this week, and I, I loved the statement. Can't remember where I read it, but it's an awesome statement. What was David doing when he ran into Goliath? He was bringing his brother some lunch, right? This is in one of our devotionals I think we did. He was bringing his brother's lunch. I mentioned it to youth on Wednesday night. This is just a great statement I want you to live by. I'm trying to live like this. Goliath just got in the way. That's all that happened. David was doing what his father, his earthly father, had asked him to do and deliver lunch to his brothers, and Goliath got in the way. You're fighting something today. It might be an identity issue that you're fighting today, that you believe about yourself that's a lie from the enemy. Understand, it has just gotten in the way of what God's called you to become. So defeat it in Jesus' name. Don't hang on to it. this. this The question for today and for the church today suffering from identity crisis is we've labeled our churches by denominations, not by who we follow. Let me say that one more time. We label our churches by what hangs over our doors, not by the people who are inside following Jesus. And when we follow, when we understand... Jesus has called us all to be part of His church, not the assemblies of God, not the Lutheran church, not the Catholic church, not the Baptist church, not the Methodist church. He hasn't called us to be any of that. He calls us to be followers of Him. And when we follow Him, guess what? It's freeing because we don't have to worry about rules and regulations, do we? Because Jesus said, Follow me. The simplest answer to the question that I'll give you this morning, one of the other questions I'll give you this morning, is you truly believe, and we talked about it last week, we are the people of God. Y'all agree with that, right? Okay. A few of you believe it. All right. If I were to ask you, are you a Christian, statistics show 80-some percent of the country will say yes to that. So hopefully 80% of you this morning will say yes to that question, so we can hold up the averages. But if I was to ask you today, why did you come here? What would your answer be? How many of you would answer because this is my church? How many of you would answer because this is what I'm supposed to do? That's the simple answer. This isn't your church, my church. It's God's church. If you're dissatisfied with the church that you're going to, and I read this in another sermon, so don't stone the messenger. He said, if you're struggling where you're going as a body, in a lot of cases, I'm not saying in all cases because I'm not, I was never dissatisfied with the church I left. God just called me somewhere else. I'm going to point that out first. When I left Life Assembly after 10 years, it wasn't because I was dissatisfied with the church. It was because God called me to pastor at a church. When I left that church, it wasn't because I was dissatisfied with the church. It was I was seeking for what God had next. And if he would have called me to stay there, I would have stayed there. But what this guy says in this is the problem isn't so much you're dissatisfied with the church when in reality you're suffering from an identity crisis because it reveals that you are the one with the problem because you, Christian, are the church. Let me say it one more time. If you're dissatisfied with the church, you're probably dissatisfied with yourself because you are the church. Now that was a hard pill, and I had to look back on my stuff and say, okay, was I ever dissatisfied with myself when I did something? And in some cases, it was all me. There's, there's a story that I'm going to read here real quick. That I, I, I pulled from an old illustration that I did years ago, but I wanted to bring it back. It said, a man said to his pastor, I am a miserable sinner and there's no help available for me. I have prayed to God, I have tried to be good, and I have tried to do the right thing at the right time, but I always seem to fail. The pastor asked him, do you believe in the life, the death, and the resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ? The man said, Yes, I do. If Jesus came and stood right here beside you at this very moment, what would your words be to him? asked the pastor. The man said, I would look up into his face and confess my sins to him, and then I would tell him that I feel like a lost sinner and that there is no hope for me. What do you think Jesus would say to you? asked the pastor. The man thought for a few moments, and then a change came upon his face. The change went from a look of worry to a look of peace and tranquility. And the man replied, Jesus would say, I have forgiven you all your sins. You are under no condemnation. You are set free. That's the life we get to live. A lot of people see God as a God who's sitting in heaven waiting to punish us. Waiting, you know, he's that like that Zeus. He's sitting up in heaven waiting for you to screw up to throw that lightning bolt. That's not the God we serve. Now we have a God who's gonna judge. We do. I believe the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I don't believe he's sitting there waiting to punish us. I believe he's sitting there waiting to love us like that. The picture of the father of the prodigal son. Who's got his eyes over the horizon just waiting to see his son coming home. And when he sees his son, he doesn't sit there waiting to yell at him. He runs out to meet me. And he runs out to meet you with open arms. That's the father we serve. That's the DNA you have. That's your unique design. In recent years, DNA t- tests have become important part of our culture, haven't they? They've exonerated people who've been in jail, because each of you in the process of DNA is unique. No two people are the same. I, Psalm 139:14 says, "David's crying out to God saying, "Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex." Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. Do you see yourself as marvelous this morning? Did you look in the mirror this morning and say, boy, am I not complex? I know how my brain works. ain't much complex up there. David got it. We need to get it as the church. The body of Christ is put together in a complex way, an intricate way, that only a father in heaven could design to work the way it works. Some of you might believe, <laughs> oh, really, God. Some of you believe that human being is a result of an evolutionary process. I, 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 I'm not here to argue that. I'm truly not. The marvel of the human body declares the greatness of our God. And that's just what I believe. And ain't nothing gonna change that. I've seen the intricacies of a child and how it's formed in the womb working in healthcare, and how we can't explain why one cell splits into two and then into four. I've seen me working in a cath lab doing CPR on somebody and the size of the machine we have to sit there next to them to do the work of the one human heart that was designed to do exactly what it does. I've seen too much in medicine to believe anything else. But I'm not asking you to agree with me scientifically. I'm asking you to agree with me that we have a God who loves us. And created you for such a time as this to do the work He's called you to do. How many of you, teachers, I'm willing to bet, might have heard this before? This this excuse. My parents didn't plan me. I'm here to tell you this morning: you were planned. God plans you before the foundation of the world in him. There is no accidents in children. God's always been in control. He's never given it up. And when he created you, he saw greatness. We use that as an excuse to not take responsibility for why we haven't become who we're supposed to be nobody's here by accident even though some of you whether you're listening online or you're listening here feel like you were a mistake you were an accident nothing in your life has ever worked out you are no surprise to God I love the story as I think about it. And I'm going to give you seven things to end off here with this morning. I love the stories going back, and we've talked about it many times, and I just giggle at it every time, so you guys get to hear it every time I giggle about it. Adam and Eve cruising around the garden. They eat the apple. What happens? Adam blames the woman, the woman believes the serpent, and so on and so on. So all the history, is somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. You know, my parents didn't plan me, so that's why I'm the person I am today. God's never given up control. What do they do? They wrap themselves in some fig leaves and go hide. They're playing hide and seek with the creator of the universe. All right. God's walking around. Adam, hey, dude, where are you? Okay, that's my God. God might not say dude in your world. It's okay. And they holler out. Do you honestly think God lost them? Do you honestly think there's anything you've done in your life that God didn't know about? You didn't surprise him. So understand, he still loves you. He's going to love you no matter what you do, no matter what you don't do. No matter the mistakes you make, no matter about the right things you do, you cannot make God love you anymore. Because he's love. And so you can keep using your past as an excuse to not step into the glory God's called you to. Or you can brush off your past, dust yourself off, get yourself up, step out. Guess what? You're going to make another mistake, but the father's going to continue to love you. Because that's what a father does, is he loves. And now as us as fathers, as Jesus talked about, know how to give our, good, our kids good gifts, even when they don't deserve it. How much more is a heavenly father going to give you the good gifts that he has for you, even though we don't deserve them? That's the DNA we have. That's the DNA of the body. It's the DNA of Jesus Christ. If I rest securely in who I am in Christ, my identity is forged in forgiveness. It's forged in the fire of grace and mercy. It's not forged in Mount Doom. That's for you people to understand what I' type stuff. it's all good. It's, it, it was never formed to be defeated. You were formed to be more than a conqueror. So as we finish up this morning, the first psalm, Psalm 19, or 139.16 that I already read, it says, you, you saw me before I was born. Every day my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. So when you're struggling with your identity, I want you to take these seven promises from God and say, this is what you say about me. The second one is, guess what? He chose you. We didn't choose him. In fact, John 15, 16 says that. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. So when you think you're not good enough, you're chosen. You're like that... That kid that always gets picked last in the game growing up because you have no abilities? It's like Michael Jordan walking in and saying, I want you to be on my team today. And you'd be like, dude, I can't play basketball. You heard white man can't jump. He said, nah, I still want you. That's what the father's done to each and every one of you. He said, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, I want you. You're on my team. He chose you. Third one is guess what? He saved you. Because we couldn't save ourselves. Titus 3 4 and 5 says, but. I don't have time to go into what, the, what came before that, but if there's a but in there, it's important. You got a but or a therefore when you're reading your Bible? Pay attention. God's about to reveal something. And here he reveals when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life with the Holy Spirit. So he saved us for what? To go serve. Fourth one. After he saves you, what does he do? I put he sanctified you, but I figure I better set apart because that probably make more sense to all you people. I'm using churchy words, you know, like I'm smart. He set you apart, Romans 12, 2, and then 4 through 5 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Is so that how you know God's will? Oh, just a little nugget right there that just came out. Let God transform you. Let God transform the way you think. Then you're going to know his will. Which is good. It's pleasing, and best of all, it's perfect. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body as the church. We are many parts, but we're one body. And I love how this verse ends out. We belong to each other. When we see the church that way, all of a sudden we start changing how we treat the church. He has plans for you. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. So you're struggling, just read the first part of that. I'm his masterpiece. I looked in the mirror this morning, I got the shower, my face all messed up when I woke up this morning, hair all over the place. And guess what? I'm his masterpiece. It might be a Van Gogh or whoever made that weird painting stuff. You're his masterpiece this morning. Guess what he does after that? He prepares you. Second Corinthians five five says, While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it is not what we want, it's not that we want to die or get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this and has guaranteed us he has given us the Holy Spirit. He's prepared us to do the work he's called us to do because he gave us his Holy Spirit because we went through all those steps. Understand, before I was born, he knew me, then he chose me, then what did he do? He saved me, then he set me apart, and then he has plans for me, and then he prepared me for those plans. And the last one, number seven, says, guess what? I've called you by name. Isaiah 43, t- 2 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. He says, I have called you by name. You are mine. Today, we're going to take hold of our new identity. It's no longer I'm going to look in the mirror and say I'm not worthy. We're going to say with all confidence, I am who God says I am. Our ego is going to lie to us. The enemy is going to give us a hard time and say we can't do it. And guess what? We're going to say, I don't know if I can say this, bite me. I'm his. We're in a battle this morning. The niceties are done. We fight spiritual battles with armor. It's called the armor of God. It's not saying the nice, warm, fuzzy bunny slippers of God. We're fighting. So it's time to get serious about what we're doing But I want you to get serious with yourself. Understand. Say, just be quiet, mouth. This is who Jesus said I am. But you're not smart enough to do that. Be quiet, ego. God is smart enough. Your flesh is gonna rant and rave. You're gonna be told you're an accident. You're going to be told you're not good enough. But we take authority by taking captive every thought under Christ. That's what the word says, right? We take captive those thoughts. And how do we take captive? All of you are going to be different. Some of you might be able to sit there quietly and take them captive. That's not my personality. I'm going to get up and fight. Why do I like that song, Take Back? Because it's a battle cry of saying, guess what? I'm going to take it back. If I have to take it back with Jesus by force, we're going to take it back. Because the Bible never says we're on the defensive as a church and we need to protect us. It's saying the gates of hell cannot stand against the church. And guess what? We're going to plunder, we're going to pillage the depths of hell to populate heaven because we're going to put on the armor of God because we belong to the creator of the universe and that's who he says I am. I don't care what the world says about me. So this morning I'm going to have you all stand up and I'm going to have you guys repeat after me. Okay, you guys ready? Bow your heads, do whatever you want to do to pray. Say, God chose me. He planned a great future for me. He wants to use me. I'm not going to listen anymore to this foul garbage, my lying flesh, and unrenewed emotions. I have an awesome destiny. In fact, I am part of a significant part of God's plan.